This week's sermon literally could be all introduction. There are so many things that came into my Facebook feed and other things that just shouted out about this passage. Not directly, but in Fred's mind. When you think about the incarnation that we have looked at, the birth of Christ that we have looked at both outside, but now going back and thinking about the incarnation in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, the incarnation is so powerful But what's the emphasis? Is that we have a high priest. Think about that. You think about all the themes, all the biblical things, the things that are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But yet the writer of Hebrews, because he is in this period of transition, because he's trying to get the Hebrew people, people with the Old Testament, people with knowledge of the covenant and knowledge of the Ten Commandments and the Psalms and all the things that they had as Jewish people. He says, what God gave us was a new high priest. You know, we live in an age where people... They want to look for a king or they want to look for a prophet. They want a king because they look at the chaos of life and they want somebody to come and say, do it this way. The problem is when they look at the wrong places for a king, they get what happened with Julius Caesar. He becomes a dictator. And then he becomes a dictator for life and he wants to order because people want the order without the understanding. And then there are people who want the prophet. They want the prophet to streak, you know, and they still use it, but not as often. Because it really didn't work out. To speak truth to power. And see, when you look at the Bible and you see the prophets, they come in the power of God, but they come in a very humble way. You remember the words from Mary that, you know, he's going to feed the hungry and the rich are going to go away with nothing. He's going to turn the world upside down. I thought about the connection of what's going to happen in this service from the verse 22. This makes Jesus the guarantee of a better covenant. That we are going to lift what Paul calls in the recollection of the upper room this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood you have this covenant connection and then this morning some of you probably know about banner of truth trust publishing they put out four or five things a day on facebook but the first thing i saw from them today was a quote from john calvin And what Calvin says, we have to remember that every time we see the word covenant, we need to see the word grace. So John Calvin, this great theologian, wants us in a simple way as we read, as we study, and we think about it, we think about that word covenant, which we are going to look at today. He says it's about grace. Because it's about Jesus. You see, the writer of Hebrews 
in developing this theme that he is then going to expand even more about Christ, about Jesus, being the great high priest, because that's what we needed. And what did we read that the great high priest did in chapter 2 in the assurance of pardon? He became like us to become the propitiation of our sins, to take our place, to turn away the wrath of God, to pay the price for our sins. That's why we had the incarnation. That's why God became flesh, to become like us yet without sin so that he could die and take our sin. And, oh, again, the writer of Hebrews does what he often does, throws in a psalm. How many psalms, have, remember that whole list from Psalm 95 that we went through and we went through and we went through and we went through, you know, six in a row. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But today, it is from Psalm 101. The Lord has, Psalm 110 Verse 4, get that straight, 110 verse 4, as quoted in verse 21, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. See, the writer goes back to these ideas, goes back to these psalms, these psalms that the people would have sang and would have known. And it would have been the community, the men and the women, the children, because it's, it's like, you see some of these stories about the Hebrides, about the islands. Because there is such a close-knit community culture, children grow up knowing things because they participate in them. They participate in the Psalms. They participate in life. There's not a formal classroom that says, okay, we're going to learn. Maybe there was, I don't know. But, but they learned Psalm 1 and 2 and 3 through the singing. We don't do that anymore. But the Hebrews even more, because that was at the center of their worship of their God, that God had given them songs for all of them to sing. Now, there were choirs and there were temples, but the people in the villages, the people who went to Zion, who went there three times a year, knew these psalms. See, the first thing that we notice about this is the difference between Christ the high priest, Jesus the high priest, and Aaron and his priest children, grandchildren, in line. The difference is between Aaron is through instruction, this is what you are to do, Jesus is the high priest with the guarantee of an oath. See, it's not just words, God's word saying, this is what I want you to do. That's what he did with Aaron. God's word was enough. But to make it more than enough, it is God's word, the text tells us, sealed with an oath. 
It's like, I want to make a point. Now, I thought about that, and I said, wow, is that a message that our generation needs to hear? A generation that is soaked with fake news, which is soaked with lies, which has gone away from God. But what God is saying, Jesus Christ, my son, this great high priest, is there because I put him there and because I created an oath. We don't take oaths very often in our culture anymore. Now you see witnesses and TV movies and other things, they put their hand on the Bible where he's saying, you know, they, they take an oath. When people come, and I'm going to be careful here, in the American culture, when you come to sign the wedding certificate, you are taking a legal vow. You are making a legal contract. It is a vow. When I join the armed forces, you raise your hand and you make a vow. There may be other things in your culture that it raises it up because there is a vow, because there is an oath that says this is who you are. So when you hear the name of Jesus, when you wake up tomorrow morning, when you get ready for New Year's and you think about Jesus, think about this, that God gave you a double pledge, his word and an oath. That in this age that challenges everything, God says, I want you to really understand who Jesus Christ is. He is this high priest who I have said he's the high priest and I seal it with an oath. And notice what it says. There, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. See, this is something that happened just for the first century church. This is for all of us. This is for around the world. That the church needs the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Now, I accept what the confession says, that, or the catechism, actually. Um, you know, what are the three offices of Christ? Prophet, priest, and king. And as I said earlier, I think oftentimes we like the king idea. We think somebody needs to be in charge. We want to talk about kingdom theology. We want to talk about this and that and power. Or they want to speak truth to prophet because we see all these lies. We want to speak the truth. And I'm not saying that, that Christ the king, Christ the prophet is not needed. But see, I think who is greatly underrepresented and very often not thought of in our lives is having a great high priest, someone who is there to represent us, someone who, as the text has said several times, someone who is like us in every way except for sin. Jesus Christ could grieve. He could grieve for loss. He could be excited with joy. He could touch the untouchable. How many people in our society, because they have been taught shame or whatever that it's related to, all that, that whole word that we use, feel that they are untouchable either through depression or loneliness, all those things that we keep reading about. Jesus touched the lepers. Jesus touched the people that were ashamed of themselves or whose society had shamed. 
See, it was an oath, not just an instruction. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made without such an oath. Now, that first one, the English teachers in here would probably want to rearrange the words to make it better, but that's the way Paul wrote it. And I think sometimes he wrote it so that people in other languages, when they translated, would have to slow down and wait and go, what did he say? What does it mean? Because it's not as clear, because it's not written in the way we think, the language is there to make us stop and think about what is being said. At the beginning of this three-verse, one sentence, he says it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. When we think about change, you know, we're getting ready for, for New Year's, where our calendars, you know, and you see all the jokes, you know, the, the first mistake you're going to make in, in, in 2020 is you're going to write 2019 and then have to write the two over the one. Imagine shifting priesthood. Imagine looking over not just decades, but centuries. This is the way we do priesthood to worship the true and the living God. Not only with just a temple, but this is the way we do it. And all of a sudden to say there is one high priest who comes to be both the high priest and the sacrifice. And then he sealed him with an oath. See, some days I think when, you know, we, we sang that song, I Heard the Bells. And it is easy to slip into thinking that there's no God, that it's all, you know, there's no peace and joy on earth. It's easy to sink that way. And that person comes back and we can come back because God has sworn, not just given us his word, but he's sworn that this is who our priesthood is. And the book of Hebrews teaches us again and again, because of the incarnation, because of what he came to do, that he came to pay for our sins. Because as the priest, he was also the sacrifice. See, the whole Hebrew system, there weren't human sacrifices. Verse 22 This makes Jesus, and I, I, I want, I, I'm making this a separate point because I want to emphasize how the incarnation, how Christmas, all of that is because his name was going to be Jesus. That's one of the big points, not just in Christmas cards, but in the Bible about the birth of Jesus. That simple human name, that he's going to be our savior. So when we think about Christmas, we think about the birth of Jesus. And what the book of Hebrews does is it's again and again in very soft but very persuasive and scriptural ways remind us that Jesus came to be like us, to die on the cross, to take away our sins so that we might become the children of God. So tomorrow when you wake up and 
Hopefully you can say the name Jesus and it will encourage you. That even though the commercialization, all the stuff that happens, I read this history about this town council, and I won't say where it was in Scotland in the 1500s. You know why they wanted to ban Christmas? Why they wanted to pass a law not to celebrate Christmas? People got just too drunk. They did too many, I mean, stupid things that drunken people do. The feast of Christmas, this is before the Protestant Reformation, but the feast of Christmas had gotten out of hand because Christ, because Jesus wasn't there. People just saw it as a reason to party. I don't know if we're there yet, but for a lot of people, Christmas is party time. See, the events in Jesus' life get abused. And I'm reading this book about Augustine, and and what the author suggests, and I thought it was a brilliant observation. Because of the abuse in Augustine's life, because of his own sinfulness, he, what the author says, he overcorrects. So because he had wanton sexual relations and you know, and that's one of the things about Augustine is he tells you about, he didn't hide anything. So the author says, because he had this horrid experience, he overcorrects and says, everybody should be celibate. Because I messed up, everybody should be celibate. Overcorrection. See, I think that's one of the things we have to do with, in our own lives is to make sure we get it God right, not just protect me from that sin. And then the last thing I want us to look at is the simple end in 22. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Why should you care about the word covenant? Basically because God uses it to describe, this is how I am connected to you. This is how I make you my children, bring you into my family, forgive your sins. When we look at those, what I call the last, the three poems and the last three sermons for the incarnation for Christmas, Every one of them had something in it about David, about the covenant. I mean, about David in two, but Abraham in all three is a representative of the covenant. That Christmas, that Easter, that all that Jesus Christ does is a result of the covenant, of God's commitment, and Jesus himself is the guarantor. And so when we lift up the cups and we hear the words of Christ himself, when he says, this is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. See, it gives us something to touch and taste and know that my sins are really forgiven. 
that he's made a commitment, he's made an oath through a sacrifice, and then he gives me something to touch and to taste, to remind me that my sins really are forgiven. That is one of the reasons why some of us celebrate communion every week, is because it is an assurance that our sins are paid for. It is the gospel. How many people struggle? Are my sins really forgiven? Did God, through Christ, really do what he said he did? People who can't accept that their sins are forgiven. They think they're all, they're too bad. I betrayed somebody, I betrayed Christ. But see, when you use the language of the covenant, it reminds us that when God seals us, when God brings us through baptism and then through the Lord's Supper, that our sins really are forgiven. And that Jesus is the guarantor. In other words, he's the seal on the oath. It's like in the language of the world that we experience, God uses all the right words and we need to hear them about his, what salvation is. That the forgiveness of our sins is sealed through the blood of Christ. He is that seal, that guarantor of the covenant. And with Calvin, we need to hear covenant and we need to hear grace. It's a gift. Let me just read it again. And it was not with an oath. For those who were formerly became priests were made such without an oath. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. So you would say, I believe in Jesus Christ. One of the things you're saying is that I believe he is the guarantor of a covenant that seals me to my Father in heaven.